Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, we've posted a couple of interviews and trials in our last few weeks. We've been off format for a minute. We put Quicksilver on blast. Uh, we interviewed uh, the writer Jed McKay, but we are thrilled to be back on our regular track uh, in reviewing old books. But we're taking a step back. We've been in the X-Men run for a minute. We're taking a step back in time to one of their earliest appearances today in Fantastic Four number 28, which is from July 1964, uh, by none other than Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And this issue has everything you could ever hope for <laughs> from a 60s comic. There is a lot to cover today. But we are uh, absolutely thrilled to have the talented and incredible writer Bob Quinn here with us, as well as returning guest hosts, uh, Mike and Justin. Let me have each of you introduce yourselves, let us know your gender pronouns, and then the introduction question for today, uh, feel free to talk about whatever you've got going on, that's fine. But the introduction question for today are what are some pet names that you use for your significant other and what are some that they use for you? Uh, Bob, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, quick correction, I am not a writer, I'm a, I'm an artist. Oh, I'm so sorry, I know that. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, just want to make sure that the listening audience gets the full breadth and scope of my contributions to the funny book. <laughs> well, I mean, artists are storytellers as well, but yes, my apologies. Yes, for that, exactly. Exactly. We're, I mean, we really are more writers than the writers are if, <laughs> if being a hundred percent honest with ourselves. Uh, no. Hi, my name is, my name is Bob. Uh, I go, uh, my pronouns are he, him, uh, and, or pencil jockey, I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I draw these comic books and, uh, let's see pet names. Um, my wife and I will refer to each other as butthead and stinky interchangeably. We have a very, we have a very long running, very bizarre pet name for each other, which I'll just, I'll just give to the world. Now we call each other Smeaguns, which is a bastard is a uh, long, long ago. When we first met, I would refer to her as beautiful sweetums. Uh, and then that, but it would be done in a very high voice. And then eventually it got to the point where I just started mushing all the words together. And then it started to sound like Smeaguins. So now that is how we refer to each other <laughs> on occasion. We, we're a very strange couple in general when it comes to like we, we, we mispronounce words around each other in very specific ways all the time. We're, we're, we're a bunch of weirdos, but uh but we, but we have fun. We found each other. That's what's really important. Weirdos are my favorite people. <laughs> hey, I'm in good. You're in good company, then I guess. <laughs> uh, Justin, do you want to go next? Yes. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Justin. Online, I go by Jay Cosmic. I my pronouns are he him. And the question. So we have two main nicknames for each other. Um, we have the one that both of us deny. He calls me Hottie Husband, and I call him Cutie Boy. Um, <laughs> both of us deny it every time we call That's each so other sweet. that. sweet! <laughs> and the other names for each other, which I'm kind of glad going on the first set of names, you know, don't have to worry too much about it being too weird, is um, he calls me Bitch Face because <laughs> I have resting Bitch Face. <laughs> So I've kind of embraced it, um, went with it. I'm kind of proud of it, not going to lie, because I used to have a problem with people just coming up and talking to me, especially with headphones on. And it's like, what what's drawing you to me? I have headphones. So 
it just kind of became instinct and just kind of became one of my defining features, especially at the gym. There was so many times where people would be surprised I was nice because it's like, you always have this look on your face and it's like, I don't even realize I'm doing it, but hey, just kind of stuck. But um, that's, just, that's just my face, dude. I'm just trying to do these dead lips. Leave me alone. <laughs> basically, I will talk to you after I'm done my stuff. But in the meantime, let me do my things. But um, yeah, we kind of use bitch endearingly. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. And then Mike. Hey, I am George Michael Duvin. You can call me Mike. Uh, pronouns are he, him. Um, pet names. I don't really have many for me, but some of my favorites I've called other people over the years are Monkey Bean, Monkey Puff. Um, Schmoopsie is always a recurring favorite. Um, and my roommate, who I've been calling my platonic life partner, calls me uh, you big dumb bitch. And it's sort of an endearing thing, I guess. <laughs> it transcends all languages. And then my name is Chad. I yeah. can see him pronouns. Uh, my partner and I use just like babe a lot, like, hey, babe, uh, I've realized, but there have been various nicknames used over the years. Uh, my my partner's last name is Bell. And so I, I have often called him Bellboy, like, you know, like the guy at the hotel who's going to take your luggage. Uh, and then he doesn't really have a lot of pet names for me, but I feel like everyone I know has a different version of the name Chad that they call me, you know, Chad Lee, Chad Burt. Uh, like that's such a common thing <laughs> in my in my personal relationships. Uh, what I didn't tell you guys is your pet name now becomes your Krakoan name. So once you arrive on the island, we now have nice. Sneakums, Bitch Face, and Monkey Bean. Welcome aboard. Yes. Let's go. <laughs> you Yours at least comes with a power. Mine's just dumb. <laughs> You are, uh, you're, yeah, yours makes you rather dupe-like, I think. <laughs> what are you going to do? Smeagums and dupe. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> I would read that book. I would read that book, too, especially if it's drawn by Bob Quinn. Uh, so hey! <laughs> we're going to take some time interviewing uh, Bob. One of the great pleasures I have in doing this podcast as I'm getting to know professionals is I get to review all of your work in kind of one sitting or one week. And I got oh, to know, <laughs> well, what you don't realize when you're reading a lot of books every week is the signature art style of somebody. So Bob, putting all of your work together, at least your Marvel work, you, you start to recognize the way you draw faces and bodies and characters. And it's really signature and it's really beautiful. I was a fan already, but, uh, but you've, got, you've got an incredible, incredible style. So to start our interview off today, tell us a little bit just about how you developed as an artist and how you ended up at Marvel. Oh boy. Uh, okay. So developed as an artist, I, um, I liked drawing when I was a kid, you know, and that, that's a, most of these stories are when I was a boy, you know, <laughs> um, like when so, I was a young warthog, that's when a he was a young warthog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, but, um, like nor normal children have parents who read them bedtime stories where they're like, Hey, here's a golden book. Here's a, here's a life tale that you probably need to know with a beautiful lesson at the end that teaches you something about the, 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 the nature of living and how to be a good person. My dad read me mad magazine. So like I, I grew up with like Dave Berg and like, you know, Alan Davis, all, all those guys. Right. So like all the all, duck Edwin, those are all my favorite guys, more trucker, blah, 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 blah. So like once in a while, he and I would make like sort of gross out comic books together that like, you know, we would draw on just like lined paper and stuff like that. And it's just sort of a thing that I kind of kept up with all through my life. You know, like, I, 
you know, I'd, I'd buy comic books and copy my favorite panels, um, you know, out of the book and stuff like that. And then I kind of dropped off of drawing after high school. Uh, I got to college and, you know, was studying all, all kinds of different stuff, but art kind of dropped off. And then like, I got a job in the gaming industry and I was like, you know, I was like a production guy. So like I'd call people on the phone and go, this game sucks, make it better. We're not paying you click, you know, like that kind of thing. Or, or like, uh, and then I was a, I was a designer for a while. So like, like I literally sit in an editor and like build levels out of like primitive pieces. And then, you know, hopefully they would work when somebody ran their character through them or whatever. Um, but I kind of like drew a little bit until I eventually ended up. Um, I think I can talk about this. I, I ended up at Activision. I was working on Skylanders, uh, the game that came with little toys. You put them on the yeah, portal yeah. and they show up. In the game. Yeah. So I worked on that for a while, but I was doing, I wasn't on the main console game. I was on the, uh, the virtual world that was considered like an ancillary product or like sort of like a value add. Cause like when they first launched the product, they were like, these toys are cool and we like the game, but like, I don't know if the toy is enough to actually sell it. So what if there was like a virtual world that you got for free that you like, you could take your little character, put them on the portal, hook them up to your computer, and then he would show up in the virtual world. Then you could run around with other kids and, and play with your, your sky dudes and stuff like that. Right. So I was working on that until they were like, um, this is expensive and we are Activision. So we have a, but like we had a machine, like imagine if you will, a machine and you put $5 million into the machine and on the other side, $60 million comes out of it. Right. And that's kind of how you look at like these, these things like cost benefit analysis. We had a thing that could make money, but Activision doesn't think about things in the way you and I think about it. We would go like, Oh, we could put in that and we could like 12 times our money or whatever. That's incredible. They go, no, 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 no. Cause we have this one over here that you put a hundred million dollars in and it makes 2 billion. What are we spending this money on? Right. So like, they're just like, it didn't make enough money. So they're like, okay, well, listen, let's just put this on hold. So I would come into work and I had nothing to do. <laughs> so like we watched all of Arrested Development and then that ran out and there was a Utrecht store down the street. So I just went and I bought like some art supplies and just kind of started drawing at work all day and just kept doing it and just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And then that went on through after I left Activision, I just kind of got in the habit. So like every day at lunch, I'd be I'd be doodling in some notebook or something. And eventually I got this opportunity to do a graphic novel that uh, a friend of mine and I had written. And um, I looked at the budget and I said, the number of pages that we have and the amount of money that we have, we will never get anybody to do this book at a level that I'll be happy with. I have to draw it. And I asked my wife and I was like, Hey, are you going to be mad at me if I quit my job? I don't like and do this thing. And I have no idea if it's going to work out. And I have no idea if I'm going to have a career after this. And she said, yeah, go for it. You're miserable, <laughs> which was very, very kind of her. So um, I spent the next year uh, drawing the graphic novel, finished it. And then literally as i was finishing it are you are you guys at all familiar with the uh the podcast the thrilling adventure hour i'm not familiar no okay so it's it's written by um these two writers ben acker and ben blacker uh they I do, do know them okay yeah so they they do comics from time to time and uh they they were doing it was um it was like a, a set of radio plays right where like they'd get all of their favorite like actors together at Largo in LA and they'd do live performances of like these radio plays so they had like Sparks Nevada Marshall on Mars and like Beyond Belief and uh Amelia Earhart Fearless Flyer and stuff right sure so one of the one of them uh was uh Beyond Belief like i said and Beyond Belief 
featured uh, these two like sort of um, Upper East Side New York socialites that were like also mediums and like they could see ghosts and stuff. And there was this really hilarious character on it called Carlisle Ravencastle, who was like a uh, like a Nosferatu vampire. And I thought he was hilarious. So I just drew a picture of him and I tagged him in it. And he was like, oh, my God, I've loved your artwork for so long. I'm so happy you found us. Uh, we're doing uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour comics at Image. Do you want to do one? And I was like, oh, yeah, sounds great. Um, <laughs> and then that kind of didn't end up happening, but he started doing like Flash Gordon work over at Dynamite. And I was like, oh, cool. And he's like, do you want to work on our Flash Gordon book? And I was like, sure. Uh, can I start next month? And he goes, nope, we're already late. Too bad. And I was like, oh, crap. So I was like, all right, well, I, I definitely don't have any job after the stupid graphic novel, I'm screwed, right? So eventually they wrote me back and they were like, hey, so you can't do the actual book, but um, would you be willing to do like a one-page flashback in the beginning of each issue just to kind of give the other artist a little bit of a reprieve? And I said, sure. So I did the first two. And then apparently he got behind and then they were like, hey, uh, we just added an extra issue to the full run and could you do it while the other guy gets ahead? And we're like, yeah, sure. I don't care. That's fine. So I did it. And then they were like, do you want to finish the series? And I said, sure. So I started finishing the series. And then the last one came as, can you finish this last issue in two weeks? Otherwise we're going to miss the date. I said, I guess. So I did it. Um, thereby ingratiating myself to the editor who then started giving me really regular work from there. I went to, um, what was it? Uh, Green Hornet meets the spirit. Um, uh, I did, uh, Lone Ranger. I did Red Sonia. Uh, I did all that stuff. Uh, I did James Bond origins with Jeff Parker. Um, and along the way, I just kind of was like sort of doing it. And like, I'd always kind of hoped eventually that I'd be able to just kind of like do my own thing. Cause like, I really enjoyed the, the work on the graphic novel. I was like, I'll get back to that eventually. So I was like, never really like super duper looking for a job at like the big two or anything like that. I was just like, sure. I don't know if, if it happens, it happens. But like, I wasn't like going to portfolio reviews and like walking away with tears in my eyes or anything like that. Um, so anyway, somebody, I don't remember what, it, Oh, I was at Emerald city and this lady walks up to me and um, she goes, Hey, um, I'm looking for uh prints of this really specific character. And I was like, well, who's that? And he goes, have you ever heard of the honey badger? And I said, no. He said, oh, it's this new character from, from the all new Wolverine. And I was like, oh, cool. So I went home and I read a bunch of issues and I was like, this is great. Gabby rules. This is hilarious. And so I just drew a picture and I, I don't even think I tagged Tom Taylor in it. I just, um, I just used the honey badger hashtag. He saw it and then tagged his editors in it. And then I was like, oh, that's funny. And nothing's going to come out of that. And then the next day I had, uh, I had uh, a couple of DMs from some people over at Marvel going, hey, does our editorial staff know who you are? And I said, no. And they were like, email these two people, good luck. I said, okay. And then I emailed them. And from there I got, uh, I got a job on Miss Marvel. And then I did uh, an Avengers Halloween special. Mm -hmm. And then on and on and on into the future. So, <laughs> well, and now getting you into the X-Men line of books, but you, yeah. you've got a pretty impressive resume at this time. And I think, I don't know if we were giving advice to people out there who were trying to become artists, I think there's that balance of like discipline and luck and opportunity and knowing the right oh, yeah. people. Uh, but even then it can take years. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. I just, I was, I was very, I was, like you want to talk about like charmed career. I, I'm a hundred percent 
that guy. Cause like, I, I just kind of said, I don't know. I'm going to do this and I'll just figure it out. And I, I, cause I had no plan. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I was just like, I don't know. Like uh, uh, eventually I'll, I'll, I'll just keep making comics somehow or some, some other way. But like, yeah, I, like I, I just happened to hit a hashtag the time that the writer of the series was looking at that hashtag saw it. And then suddenly, because, because I was able to show that I had like, like sequential pages ready to go. And I was like capable of drawing stuff and like working on a, on a deadline, you know, I I was ready to go. Cause like, it it sounds like you also though had this ability to meet the deadlines and you had a good reputation and you're easy to work with and you can work in multiple genres with multiple people. I mean, it's more than just a hashtag. You you no no that's a hundred percent right. Cause like there's that old adage that goes, you need to be two out of three, right? You have to be either really good on time or, uh, very, very amiable, like very easy to work with. And or really never... good looking. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I know I'm not that one, so don't worry. Uh, but I but I know I'm uh, I'm definitely on. I've never turned in an issue late and everybody says I'm very easy to work with. So there you go. <laughs> and you've worked with an impressive array of writers at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to shout out and we won't take time to talk about these books, but I will plug some notes. You work with yes, Ta-Nehisi Coates on Captain yep. America, where we got to see you draw Celine and she was gorgeous. And we got to see you work with Eve Ewing on Champions, where you got to draw Dust and Cyclops and some other X characters who appeared. Uh, let's jump into a little bit of your X-Men work uh, more specifically. You recently wrote or, or drew a one-shot. <laughs> I'm still laughing about it. My God. Uh, called The Death of Doctor Strange, X-Men and Black Knight. Yeah. And you got to draw demon versions of the X-Men that are the creepiest fucking things I've seen in an X-Comic in a long time. Aren't, aren't they gross? <laughs> They're so gross. Uh, tell me uh, a little bit about your working relationship with Cy Spurrier and what it was like to design those uh-huh. demon X-Men. Cy is great. Um, I I really, really enjoy working with him. He's a super nice guy. He, he and I... Um, Every time, like, I see a post from him on social media on, like, some, you know, pick Instagram or whatever, there'll just be some comment where I'll look and I'll be like, I feel like he and I, like, are just, like, the same person separated by an ocean because we we clearly like all the same crap, right? Like, he's, uh, you know, he likes all those weird Jim Henson movies like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and stuff like that, which are, like, huge for me growing up. Like, I, I loved all that stuff. And I don't know, like, we, we just have a lot of very similar sensibilities, which... um you know, I think makes working together really, really easy. So like, and, and then what, what, what's great is when you're doing stuff like that, the, all the, the demonic versions of the, uh, the X-Men or whatever for, uh, for Black Knight, he, he'll come in with sort of like an idea of like, I think they, come, so it, it's the same thing when we, when we did the Hellfire Gala outfits and stuff for, uh, for Way of X. He'll come in with like, I think it's kind of like this, like he'll, he'll have like some sort of thought starter, right? And then it will be up to me. I I will typically go through and and give like a couple options Um, in particular with, with the um, death of Dr. Strange book. I, I, because things were sort of, I had to move sort of quickly. I just ended up sort of doing all the designing on the page. So I didn't have a ton of time to like sit around and really workshop anything. Um, But pretty much, you know, it would be, uh, you know, I, yeah, he, I don't. I don't. I actually don't think I have the descriptions in front of me. I don't remember where the script is. So I think I've migrated computers since then too. But yeah, there, he, he would have like this kind of description of like, of like you know, hey, because uh, I think the I think I actually have the issue right here next to me on the floor. Um, but there was a that there, there's that data page where he has all their names, um, and 
Yeah. So like he had, yeah. So it's like the Crimson Countess and the Cockatrice Knight and, and Iron Priestess and all that stuff. That was all in the script. And it's like, yeah, uh, Iron Priestess is, uh, is um, okay, I'm losing her name now. Lorna, come on. Polaris. 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 Yeah. And, and, and Polaris. Is, and I think she kind of looks like this and maybe like armor like this and like the little dudes that are hanging off her maybe float around her and stuff like that. And I go, okay. And then I try to translate that into something that will look sort of creepy. <laughs> it's so gross. I just posted a yeah. in the chat for you guys. Uh, if you, if you get a chance to see Jean Grey in particular is really monster yeah. looking and frightening. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then you got to do way of X with Sai as well, which was such a revolutionary book uh, that big, episode or the big issue reveal of onslaught at the end of the first issue what was it like to work on that series um like i said i mean it, it, it was great like you know like i like i said um Cy and i again like seem to have a lot of similar sensibilities so like you know when i'm when i read the script like i i have a really good sense of what it is he wants and you know like because they they the the concept of it was was very interesting to me right like sort of discussing a lot of the the nature of sort of the rot inside the psyche of Krakoa and stuff like that cuz i mean like if you look at it from the outside like there's some weird concepts that are kind of in there um and um he was willing to sort of address a bunch of them and i was like these are interesting sort of philosophical questions to address and i wanted to be a part of that in whatever way I could, you know? So when they were like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to draw an X-Men book with Cy Spurrier? I was like, yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't I? That's what, what kind of question is that? Of course, let's do it. He's Um, so damn smart. God, he's smart. He really is. He really, really is. And he's, he's, he's an incredibly kind person and uh, a very, very, just fun to talk to just a cool guy. Like, uh, you know, he, even being in England, like he would make time, to, like we could sit down and like chat about stuff that was going on in the issues as I, as I had questions for him and stuff like that. And I was like, Hey, where's this going? And what's going to happen with this later on? And, you know, he'd be, you know, he took the time and furnished me with all the, with all the details and some uh, nice conversations that I, that I cherish to this day. <laughs> uh, Justin, do you have any favorite work of Bob's or questions for Bob you'd like to ask? Sorry, I had to unmute. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, so are there any artists who have inspired your style of art in particular? Oh man, you know, I I can just I just can tell you because like if 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 I were to tell you all the people that I that I looked up to as an artist, I don't know that you would necessarily go, ah, I see that in there. Um, but like it was it was not necessarily that like there were people that I was like, I need to model this guy's style or something like that. It was just people who inspired me to draw. So like when I was a kid, like I said, I was a big, big mad magazine guy. And like, I, I really loved, like, I really loved um, Mort Drucker. And I, cause you know, he was so good at all the, all the likenesses and caricatures. And I really loved duck Edwing when I was a kid. Cause like he had, he had these little gross out comics where like, you know, I don't know if you ever read much mad magazine, but there's this one where like he had like this Mountie and like, Every every uh, one of the the um, little strips of it, the guy would just get dismembered in some weird way, and it was really funny. Uh, and like he had like all these ones with like these guys that were like you know stuck to the wall inside of a dungeon and stuff like that. I I just I thought they were funny. Um, and then um, uh, so like he, th- those guys made me want to draw. And then I kind of fell off a little bit uh, as far as like looking into comics and stuff like that until 
uh, the 90s when my cousin was kind of getting into comic collecting and he brought home not the initial uh, four issue run of Cyber Force, but the issue one of like the ongoing. And I saw that and I'd never seen Mark Silvestri's work before. And when I saw it, I could not believe what I was looking at. I was like, this is this is what comic books look like now. This is unbelievable because I just hadn't been reading them for the longest time. You know, like I said, I was like I was like a gag strip reader. Right. So um, when I when I saw that stuff, I was like, this is unbelievable. Like I didn't I, I just I couldn't comprehend like the 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 cross hatching and the dynamicism and stuff like that. And that's when I actually started like doing stuff like copying panels. I was like, this guy's amazing. Um, but then I kind again, like I kind of fell off and then, cause like at a certain point I sort of realized that like, I don't draw that way and I probably will never draw that way. So like, like sort of what's the point of even trying to get into comics, but then I started seeing some of the cartoonier guys come around. Right. So like, um, I started seeing like Scotty Young coming up and, uh, Joshua Middleton was a big one. Sure. Yeah. Um, I remember Scotty Young drew a picture of Dusty Star, which led me to Andrew Robinson. Um, and then who else? Oh, uh, I, I, all this stuff was, through, I, funnily enough, all of this stuff was like through early days on DeviantArt when all those guys were on there. Cause like they'd all end up commenting on each other's stuff. So it was, I think, I think through Scotty, I discovered um, uh, Sean Gordon Murphy. Uh, and it, it, all these people with just different approaches to, to drawing that, I didn't realize you could draw comics that way. And suddenly I went, oh, well, maybe the way I do it is okay. You know what I mean? And then um, and then somebody else showed me Mike Mignola, which took me the longest time to discover Hellboy. And then I, I discovered Hellboy and it was like my favorite comic of all time. Yeah, yeah. So like as soon as I sort of got exposed to the to the breadth of what was a comic book, I suddenly went, well, I I can I can do that. <laughs> I can figure this out. This is okay. Um so yeah, those 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 are the those are the big guys probably, or at least the people that when I saw their work, I went, oh, oh yeah 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 okay I get it right. The, maybe my thinking about what these are has been too uptight. Um, and now you get to be the name that people are like, oh my god, Bob Quinn, his art inspired me so much. That messes me up. I, I'm so like <laughs> I have. I'm gonna be super honest with you guys. Like I have the worst imposter syndrome when it comes to like sitting here at the like like I said. I, I feel like I was sort of right, like totally right place, right time. And like when I first sat down and started drawing X Men, and I looked around at the other stuff that was going on, because like you know, like as I was doing it, you know, like who was up, who was drawing. X-Men right then, right? It was like Pepe Larraz. It was Valerio Skitty, right? And I'm like, I'm what, what what am I doing here? I had no idea why they thought I was capable of doing it. But the funny thing is, is by the time I finished Onslaught Revelation, I was like, okay, I think, I think maybe I'm ready to draw X-Men now. <laughs> and well, now, you- and now finally we're doing Knights of X, and I I feel like I'm kind of finally starting to find a groove maybe but i mean if we only kept your work to those six issues way of x and onslaught revelation you drew babies you drew people teleporting moons you drew giant monster fights you drew like so many diverse characters in so many diverse settings and with a cast (laughs) that just doesn't quit and there were gala costumes and like Mm -hmm. like you're it's pretty fucking impressive man it really is well yeah that was it was all trial by fire though you know what i mean it was like i wish i could i wish i had the uh the scripts for onslaught revelation where Cy went all right man this is gonna be weird 
see if he can figure out what's in my head. Because like <laughs> it, but some of that, if you look at those pages, they're just nonsense. Yeah, there's so <laughs> much crazy. Wild. And like I would read the script like, I have no idea how I'm going to draw this dude. Thanks. <laughs> and Fine. by the way, it's due in four weeks. What the hell? <laughs> Find the spark. But wait, what's the spark? <laughs> yeah, what am I supposed to do here? <laughs> uh, Mike, do you have questions for Bob? Or or things uh, you'd like to comment on? I do not. I'm fighting with my ear pods, so you'll have to forgive me. Oh, no. I don't know if you can hear me at all. But yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. cool. Well, you're no, all right. So if you come up with something fascinating later. hearing your journey through <laughs> inspiration, though, because I'm I doodle as well. Uh, never went very far with it, but yeah, it's weird how you got your start in kind of the funny books as well. Like, uh, like I started with Garfield, like mocking mm-hmm. kind of Garfield style and then into Ninja Turtles. And then Ron Lim was like one of my first inspirations that I started mocking his style and then going on. Yeah. But yeah it's funny that I, originally I, when I was a kid, I wanted to draw comic strips, you know, like mm-hmm. in the newspapers and stuff like that. So that's cool that you started that way as well. Yeah, no, same thing. I, I ran a, uh, I ran a three day a week, like four panel strip comic uh, on the internet for three or four years, I think. Um, that I don't talk about cause it isn't very good, but it's still up. You can, <laughs> you can find it, but um, I'm not going to tell you where it is. <laughs> well, another interesting thing too, is like hearing the process from like going from silver, Silvestri, I'm not sure if I'm saying the name right to some of the more like cartoon looking um, artists. Mm-hmm. Cause um, for me, like I used to be really big into drawing too, um, especially late high school um, around graduation. Um, I unfortunately had a teacher who was very much an art snob. So while yeah. I was very much into the cartoony type of drawing, according to him, it was not the right type of art. So, and very much, put you in a very put you in a box so it kind of discouraged me from that for a little bit that's really terrible that's really terrible because like that's where the jobs are like they're all sitting around here like you you gotta learn how to draw this way you gotta do this thing but like well yeah but like you know uh, cartoons and animation are real jobs that you can really get paid for like good luck with your painting career like you you know like but it's it's just really these people are talking about it's just really cool hearing like, you know, the different types of styles that have influenced what is now your art, you know, and kind of relating to Boy of X2, kind of leaning to another question. Um, how much of a say did you have in the designs for the Hellfire Gala? Just because there were a few of the looks I enjoyed a lot. Um, the one that stands out to me in particular is Pixie. I really liked her look. Thank you. That was my favorite. Um so yeah i mean like i said basically i got like a little one paragraph write-up um from uh from sai and i just blasted out uh, a ton of ideas because like um fashion design stuff is interesting to me um i don't i I mean like you would never know by looking at me because i'm just like you know i look like a slob all the time but i have the same outfit every day which is like t-shirt jeans and that's it um, so, but yeah, so, um, I, what would happen is, is I basically would I'd just make like a base figure and then I'd like, um, well, I, I remember for Pixie specifically, Sai had said, maybe we just let her hair be the star. And then like, we kind of give her sort of an understated dress. And I was like, that's a really cool idea because, you know, she's got big pink hair. Why not, why not go with that? So, um, I had like, I had a. I don't even remember how many ideas I'd thrown down, but like I, I did post them on Twitter at some point a little while back and I can't remember some news outlet picked it up or whatever. 
I felt bad about that. I was like, maybe I wasn't supposed to show those. I don't know. Anyway, um, but yeah, so um, and then her her final look actually was sort of a was sort of an accident because um as I was working out sort of the basically I put down an initial eight or ten ideas and then sort of like me and sign editorial kind of narrowed it down to like two that we really liked and then finally we found the one that we super liked which is the one where she had the butterflies in her hair and the and the black dress with the sort of mesh on the shoulders and hip um but um as I, it originally it had a couple different necklines that were you know like one sort of more square and one that like plunged a little bit more um but i when i was just sort of doing the initial sketches i didn't feel i didn't like complete the line right if you're if there's any photoshop users out there and it, when I flat filled it, it accidentally just went all the way up to her neck. And I went, oh, well, that actually looks really cool. <laughs> and yeah, then you can actually it, see that. Yeah, it was it was completely an accident. Yeah. So like I I um I sent that over and I was like, this isn't in the initial sketch, but I love it. Like this is I think this is the one and everybody agreed. So uh, that that's that's how we did it. That's how it's done. You were uh, as with all things, it's an accident. <laughs> you're you're part of this X line. It's such a cool time, man. You're drawing crazy shit. And your your work on Nightcrawler at this point has has put you in like one of the definitive Nightcrawler artists, I would argue. You also got to draw a, a really for our LGBT fans, because this is a queer audience kind of podcast. You got to draw this Loa Mercury uh connection in Way of X that was just insane. Uh, that was really <laughs> fun. You also got to draw Cable Reloaded, which was such a great issue that pulled in characters from the side that we don't get to see often. Uh, oh, yeah. All, all beautiful, beautiful work. Tell us a little bit about the book you have coming out. You get to work with the incredible writer, uh, Teeny Howard, mm-hmm. on uh, Knights of X. Tell us what we have to look forward to. Oh, man. I got to figure out what I can say about this. Um, yeah, don't do any spoilers. This won't come out for about 10 days. So if the first issue is out by then, I don't know what the release date is. I, I don't even know when it's coming out. I don't think so. I, I just finished issue two. Um, so... Um, it's sort of, it's sort of a continuation, um, of Excalibur. I think that's sort of known. And, um, I guess, I guess the best way to describe it is sort of like, there's a lot of classic X-Men stuff in there, but sort of told through this sort of sword and sandal lens that's a kind of about as close as i want to get to what the story is yeah no, that's um, okay we get we get betsy braddock we get rachel summers we're hoping yep. for a little love connection we get shatterstar and richter and bay the blood moon and all of these <laughs> characters we're so excited about and the uh, recent cover showed kylan which people are strangely excited for kylan right now which is great. oh he's he's been shown on the cover has he yeah, yeah. The uh, oh. the the May solicits came out and it showed Kylan on the cover for uh, okay. leaving, uh for Nights well, of Things too. I guess there's no spoilers then. Yeah, he's in it. He's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so great. Uh, yeah. It's so What's it like working with Teeny? Teeny's great. Um, she's she's super duper nice. Um, very you know, uh, very very positive. Like like the the scripts are always very personalized. She puts nice little notes in there to me, like, "Hey Bob, try to do something like this." But if you want to do something different, that's cool too. <laughs> and it's very deferential, but it's it's fun. You know, I I don't know. I, I've been as you mentioned, I've been incredibly lucky throughout my entire career to work with people who are just really really delightful. Um, 
collaborators uh and you know are uh, pe- people who are willing to make time for you they're like let, let, just like literally like hey are you in the middle of something send me a text if you have a question i don't even care in the middle of the night i don't care like just just delightful so i don't know i lucky guy working with great people that's 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 all i am <laughs> i uh i'm so excited for knights of x and to see your work ongoing i was surprised that you uh went that direction i kind of assumed you would be on legion of x with Sai again uh, so it was kind of fun to see the shakeup in the lineup uh, with you doing art with Teeny instead. Yeah, um, I did. I, I felt very connected to that uh, Legion and Way of X stuff, uh, and I, I did want to continue it. And I and I I don't know if this is a peek behind the curtain, but I I, I asked to continue, uh, and for whatever reason they they decided that that was not the the direction that they wanted to go with the line. So I said, okay, you know. Not, not, none of my business. I'm, I'm happy to continue to, you know, still be drawing something in the X line. You know, that's, uh, you know, obviously <laughs> quite a gift. So, you know, I'm not going to complain about it. <laughs> I'm super excited. And uh, I, uh, my listeners know where I'm slowly assembling an art wall of characters in their original costumes behind me. And Bob's going to do a 60s beast for me. So yeah, I got, I've got that. I've got that working. You got to give me a minute here, man. I'm, yeah, I'm, oh, you're busy. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so when you have time, I'm excited. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm on the case, though. Don't you worry. <laughs> Um, uh, what a, what a delight to get to know you better. I think we'll go ahead and transition to our issue review. Now, as we're doing so, Bob, feel free to share your, your, your penciling and inking, uh, tips and ideas or your commentary on Jack Kirby art. We have some classic. Oh yeah. That's, I'm sure that's all the, the listening community needs. Yes. But please, Bob, tell us what, what, how the King could do it better. Okay. Sure. <laughs> There's well, some Jack. I don't know about this panel, buddy. There is some weird shit in this issue. So uh, for those that listen to the podcast, we've covered an episode where the puppet master comes back and fights the X-Men. And we referenced this issue of the Fantastic Four where they met the puppet master for the first time. So we're going to take a step back and do X-Men number, uh, I'm sorry, Fantastic Four number 28. (laughs) When I showed my co-host, my regular co-host, Heather, this book, she goes, I've only read a few Fantastic Fours, but does anything ever happen in that book? Which was which was kind of a fun <laughs> side space. So as we are opening this book up, uh, it is a very busy cover. We have the giant kind of clay-like awesome android holding all four members of the Fantastic Four and all five members of the X-Men in his giant fists. It says, guest stars galore as the FF tangles with the X-Men. And that's not all. You'll also see the Mad Thinker, the Puppet Master, and the awesome android. Uh, let me hear your thoughts on this very busy cover uh, from the three of you before we uh, jump into the issue. Uh, I can tell you as somebody who has been working on team books for the last like two years now, anytime you have to juggle this many characters on a cover up, my heart goes out to you. It's it, like, it's just brutal, <laughs> but you know, I mean, what's he, he's got a billion people like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven and, then, and then there's a giant Android in the back. I don't know. Uh, the only thing that I noticed when I zoomed way in is that the thing has googly eyes. <laughs> He's got one going up and one going down. What are you going to do? <laughs> Gene is having a bad hair day. Yeah, Gene's having a bad hair day. Like the uh, Iceman has, which which I learned later is his ice lasso, but I thought it was like a weird umbilical cord, which I couldn't figure out what that was. Um, but I do love the the big stretchy fist from uh mr fantastic and and beast deftly dodging out of the way there and then there's then there's poor scott hanging off of the thumb just like shooting at nothing i gotta help i just don't know if i can 
No Damn. one's looking very good here. Uh, Mike and no. Justin, what did you think of this cover? Um, it's a it's a lot to take in, but I feel like it's well balanced. I feel like um, you know, with the amount of characters on both sides, um, you know, even though there's a lot of people on there, um, it works at least for me. Um, what I get from the cover is there's a lot to unpack, a lot going on to include in one issue, but um, after reading it, like they surprisingly made it work and kind of makes me want to see what goes on. <laughs> I love 60s FF comics. I love them. Uh, Duvin, what did you think? Yeah, no, what I really dug is how the Fantastic Four and the X-Men are managing to still fight each other, even though the awesome android has them in his hands. So it kind of shows that they're fighting each other, but there's a big bad behind them, basically. Mm-hmm. I also love that huge text box. I love all that stuff. Like, guest stars galore. Like, that that stuff is so, so classic and fun. I am digging, I am digging Reed's sexy gray temples. I mean, it takes a sexy man (laughs) to pull off a gray temple. Uh, so as we jump into the issue, uh, we this is called We Have to Fight the X-Men! Exclamation point. It is by uh, uh, written by Stan Lee, the leader, drawn by Jack Kirby, the king, inked by Chick Stone, the master, lettered by Art Simic, the letterer, which is frankly the same team we saw in a lot of early X-Men books at the same time. Uh, let's, let's have uh, Mike summarize the first five pages for us and then we have a lot to comment on all of these pages but let's let him do the summary first and then we'll go back and dissect them a little bit well i like to read the title of this we have to fight the x-men as i guess we have to fight the x-men because it says the fantastic four are shocked to learn that we have to fight the x-men it's like i guess we're fighting the x-men so as the page starts out with the thing picking up a giant statue of himself that alicia had just sculpted and what I really like is that she says, I hope you think my statue does you justice, Ben. You know, I have to work by touch alone. I wonder how much research went into the statue. But And then on the other side of the page, you have <laughs> Mr. Fantastic and Sue Reed in the newspaper, which has just got all sorts of articles about the X-Men on it. And uh, Johnny shoots in saying, hey, sis, what are you and Reed looking at? The buddies are the other section. And she's saying, we're reading about the X-Men, Johnny. And Reed is like, it's amazing how famous they've become in such a short time. In other words, Stan is saying, hey, guys, there's also this book we do called The X-Men. Please read The X-Men. Someone, <laughs> someone, please. The X-Men, we mention it. it means it's real. Read it. Please please buy this book. You're going to yes. love it. We, we promise. <laughs> it's real good. Insert plug. And, um, yeah, exactly. Then the thing's like, X-Men, big deal. There are a bunch of cornballs, if you ask me. Who'd they ever lick? And then read lists off a bunch of villains who they have licked i'm choosing to read that figure literally so he goes to mention magneto the space fan they've licked the blob quicksilver scarlet witch and then johnny mentions the fact that they had an adventure together where they also fought the barracuda which is an episode you covered a few weeks ago yeah but they also licked the toad and mastermind and i just have to point yeah, out they, quickly, he's like by the way we also licked the toad i just have to yeah. point out quickly they never fought the space phantom that was the avengers reed's just throwing oh. the space phantom into the mix <laughs> that's a thing that exists too i wonder if you lick the toad if you hallucinate just like, <laughs> that's what i was like, thinking i was like that, that seems like toads. a yeah like a good lead into actually way of x for some of the later issues where everybody's getting high so <laughs> <laughs> um and then of course, because it comes up later in this issue, um, Ben goes back to talking about the statue that Alicia made. And he's like, you know, you're way better than 
that puppet master. And then she's like, oh, I thought I'd never have to hear his name again kind of thing. And it's like, oh, shoot, I ran my big mouth again. I forgot that he's her stepdad and they have this bad history together, which leads into a mysterious figure looking at his watch as the puppet master walks through a door, says, you are exactly right when I predicted you to be. So it's the thinker sitting there waiting for the puppet master, the team up everyone's been waiting for as he walks me, through the door. It looks like the awesome androids are holding the door for him. I'm not sure. Yeah. Let me pause you really quickly because a lot right. of our X-Men readers don't know these characters. So I'll just be really quick. So the puppet master is the stepfather of Alicia Masters, who is now the thing's wife in the comics. He is a, a short little funny man who has radioactive clay and if he builds a figurine out of that clay, he can control your thoughts and actions. Uh, he's a frequent Fantastic Four villain. He's really fucking creepy sometimes, but mostly really stupidly used. <laughs> the other character we see here is the Mad Thinker, who is basically a super smart scientist who's really good with predictions. So the trope that you see in the 60s over and over again is he will be like, I've calculated exactly how to defeat fill in the blank, the Hulk or Thor or the FF. But something always goes awry. There's something that doesn't factor into his plan somehow. There's a there's a character who's unpredictable or something that happens. And he's like, no, my 89% chance of winning is now 17.23% chance. Uh, so we see them kind of teaming up. And they both are relatively new in the Marvel mythos at this point because they've only recently appeared in the Fantastic Four for the first time. So do even go ahead with, uh, with page three there. Yeah, so um, you see... Andy, I like to call him because of Dan Slott's fantastic run on She-Hulk. Um, Andy, the awesome android, holding the door for him or whatever he's doing there. Um, and then, you know, in a bit of foreshadowing, he has to introduce the awesome android. So Matt, or the puppet master walks in, he says, what is that? Where did it come from? Is it alive? He's, and then the mad thinker says, that happens to be my android. So it was created by Mr. Fantastic, bought him a while back, and then he managed to steal him somehow which the puppet master comments on and says, wow, you must be really smart if you've stolen a, an Android from the Mr. Fantastic. Um, but anyway, um, so the mad thinker tells um, the puppet master, he's got this brilliant plan that they need to work together on. He hands him a radioactive suit and sends him to work in the other room. So the mad thinker puts on this radioactive suit, walks in the room and he looks at this head sculpt that the mad thinker in all his brilliance has surmised that this must be what professor x's head looks like and it's basically like a bald mannequin head <laughs> it could have been anything just you know go to the store buy a bald mannequin head that looks just like it so um basically based on this he wants the mad thinker to start sculpting a puppet or sorry the puppet master starts sculpting a puppet of professor x so you can control him um and then this gets as corny 60s sci-fi movie dialogue as it gets um basically i love how he's kind of yelling from the background encouraging the puppet masters he's sculpting says good good don't stop you are truly a master sculptor when you have finished professor x will be in my power and that means his x-men will be ours to command and then he mentions the puppet master how he has to stare very hard at the the puppet of professor x he's made so he can take control of it and it flashes over to Professor S as Professor X's desk saying, someone else is trying to exercise mental control over me. I can feel it. So they have this mental struggle as this puppet gets sculpted. Oh, we lost your sound, dude. We lost your sound briefly, Mr. Given. 
Can you hear me? Yeah, yes. we can now. Yeah. So you, you had just said he just he was sculpting. Sorry, my ear my ear pods. Anyway, yeah, you're having this mental struggle back and forth as the puppet master tries to take control of Professor X, and um, Mad Thinker has all these calculations. So he's urging him to add just a little bit more clay by precise calculations. So you know, more clay equals more power, I guess. But anyway, after a big of a struggle, Professor X finally gets taken over by the um, puppet master and he commands the X-Men to come to him and he tells them that they have to go fight the Fantastic Four, then destroy them. That's a basic synopsis of the first five pages. It's That was a delicious synopsis. So let's <laughs> let's just talk about some of our favorite reactions from these five pages. Page one, when, when Reed and Sue are reading the paper, the headline on the back says X-Men and new exploit. And I feel like the writer really missed an opportunity to put X hyphen ploit there. X-Men and new exploit. It I wasn't the really 90s missed, yet. Yeah, really exactly. missed an opportunity. <laughs> uh, what, were some, will, what were some of your thoughts on these early pages, guys? I will say Alicia's um, gesture to Ben, I was like, oh, that was actually really nice. <laughs> I love Alicia Masters. I, I think she's an incredible character. My also, favorite stuff. Hair. Yeah, my favorite stuff in these early pages is is the uh, shot where where the thing is looking pensively out the window, thinking about the crummy trick that fate played on her. Like that, that <laughs> is just is so great. And then two and three feature some of the most wonderful Jack Kirby Kirby tech uh, in these backgrounds. The Mad Thinkers, like giant ticker tape computer. And all this, they're just great. And then that sequence where, where uh, um, Professor X is sort of fighting against the puppet master and then finally ends with that re like real impassive face of him just like, all right, I'm under control now. It's, it's just great. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Who has the worst hairdo? Sue Storm on page two or Mad Thinker on page three? <laughs> I mean, it's got to um, be Mad Thinker, right? I mean, he looks like David. Lynch. Sue's hair haircut looks like expensive. <laughs> Dude looks like she put a lot of hairspray in there. Lots yeah. of hairspray. That is a that is a hairdo, man. Uh, all I love Aquanet. <laughs> yeah, I love Alicia's hair though. Alicia's hair is great. Oh, Alicia's stunning. Uh, there's something so masturbatory about pages four and five with the Mad Thinker like sculpting the clay. I'm sorry, the Puppet Master sculpting the clay and the Mad Thinker is like yelling instructions through the window. Yeah. And then when he's like telling him to add more, it's almost like grab more lube. You need the precise amount of lube <laughs> to finish this statue. And Professor X is like, oh, someone's trying to penetrate me from far away. <laughs> Keep They're sculpting him. Keep sculpting harder. Keep, focus harder. You're not sculpting hard enough. <laughs> I will it's say. Good. Don't stop. I will say, I do like how Puppet Master and Xavier are basically twinning. You got the bald look, the purple suit. Uh, with the eyebrows? It's true. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, oof. And the, those, those like, close-ups on the Puppet Master's face are very scary. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, and then page five, we get Gene's hair, which doesn't get any better in this issue, but good Lord. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fallen. I don't know what happened. <laughs> uh, so the plot here is basically I have calculated at, that the X-Men's leader is telepathic and if we create this puppet of him we can control the whole team which is really smart but 
why not create puppets of the whole team? Or why not have Professor X attack the Fantastic Four with his crazy telepathic mind? The, the Mad Thinker's plot here. There's plenty of pictures of the X-Men that he can use for re, you know resources to build puppets. It's not like he has to figure out what Professor X looks like. He could more easily make an X-Men team. Listen, man, we don't know how much, you know, radioactive clay is going for on the black market. This stuff is not cheap. All Does right? he always use a suit or has he just been willy nilly handling radioactive clay up to this point? This is no, a great question. He does not always have a suit. And there are times when that radioactive clay makes him sick. And sterile. Oh. And probably sterile. Uh, but we also, in, in Dan Slott's Fantastic Four right now, Alicia Grimm, who because she's the thing's wife, uses radioactive clay sometimes. She'll uh she'll create she'll like sculpt a doll and like control someone for a minute. Like it's uh it's kind of interesting to see her using it in the current comics. Uh any other comments on pages one through five before we continue? Uh, Ju Justin, will you take over with page six? Let us know what happens on the next few pages. Yep. So um, after Xavier um, commands the X-Men to go attack the Fantastic Four, um, Beast is wondering why, as there's no logic to it. Um, Xavier tells Beast he'll decide that. And um, basically, he says that he read the minds of the Fantastic Four and told them that they were plotting to take over the world. So the X-Men get into the jet copter um, and head over to the Baxter building where Cause the, cause the fantastic. Because the X-Men have a thousand fucking helicopters back there. <laughs> Go ahead. They, got a, they got a Rolls Royce. They got a jet. <laughs> um, but no money, <laughs> if I recall correctly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, Reed's stretching his neck out the window after he sees the jet copter land on the building and Beast, being subtle but not so subtle, tells Scott they don't suspect a thing. Um, Jean and Sue interact with each other. Um, Sue, or rather Jean complimenting Sue. Um, basically all the greetings. Um, ben makes a remark to Angel about being a bird person where... Alicia then kind of tells him, hey, where's your manners? So He's just um, grabbing his wings. I, I don't think... <laughs> no, no wig grabbing without consent, buddy. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so Scott's um, excuse for coming down is that there's an alien spaceship sighted and he wants the Fantastic Four to help investigate. Um, Reed tells him, hey, we're busy. We're putting together a device for the Air Force. Um, Scott, of course, predicted that, so he attacks the device with his optic beam. Um, he then shoots his optic beam at uh, Mr. Fantastic. Um, he dodges it. Human Torch goes to attack Scott. He um, bas basically disperses the flames with his wide beam. Um, Gene this is Ray so cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, It actually is a neat feat. <laughs> Um, Jean Grey tries to get Thing to come with her. He's not having it. He's busy admiring his statue, or rather himself through the statue. <laughs> um, which then Jean is like, don't make me lift you up with my telekinesis, and shows him what she can do by lifting the statue. Except then, when lifting the statue, she accidentally drops it because it's too much weight, which angers the Thing. 
Um, which then leads to a really iconic panel that I have seen many times out of context. So finally seeing it in context is just like, <laughs> oh my God. Um, kind of off topic, I used to post on the comic forums and I've seen this panel float around a few times. <laughs> um, he tells Jean that if she weren't a female, he'd demolish her. But the only thing he can do to a nut like her is give her the spanking of her life. <laughs> Uh, which she's like, get away from me and start spinning him right round. Like a record, baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Sue's in the background with her epic bowl cut, wondering what the heck is going on. Um, Angel sneaks up behind her and grabs her and flies in the air, telling her not to struggle before Iceman captures her in an ice lasso. Which, um, this is actually a good sequence the next few pages. It's just a good little fight scene. Um, we cut to Beast, Cyclops. They're fighting Human Torch and Mr. Fantastic. Um, Mr. Fantastic turns into a bouncy ball and tries to throw Beast off balance. Basically <laughs> kind of turning him into a circus animal on top of the ball. Kind of balancing before um, trying to trap him. Where then Beast picks him up and twists him around and tosses him before he somersaults away. Um, he then tries to attack Reed by lunging at him and then instead accidentally runs into Thing, breaking him free from Gene, where Thing then <laughs> um, <laughs> manages to get hold of Gene in spanking position. Over the classic the spanking position. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Um, off topic, him saying he's going to spank her, but then being made of rock. Ouch. Also, she's a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then... Um, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> so Beast uh, basically jumps in. Thing starts swinging at him um, while Thing still has her by the belt. <laughs> um. She manages to break free where then Iceman ices up Thing's face and then ices up his feet. There is a lot that just happened. This is an iconic fight sequence. Uh, if we can go back to page six for just a second, uh, when Sue and Jean are talking, I'm just picturing it like the bitchiest, cattiest like tones in their voice. <laughs> Jean says, you're even lovelier than the pictures I've seen of you, Miss Storm. And Sue says... Coming from you, dear, that's a real compliment. And please call me Sue. And when you add the bitchiness to it, it's so much better. <laughs> I choose to read it that way from now on. It's, it's kind of giving me um, Willy Wonka, um, Veruca, and um, Violet Beauregard being like, let's be friends, best friends. But then they actually don't like each other. <laughs> they, are, they are not best friends, it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> So, Bob, what were your thoughts on this fight sequence and the way it plays out? There's a lot of crazy ways the powers are used, Reed's in particular, but uh, Iceman's and Sue's and, and, and oh, not Sue's, I'm sorry, Iceman's and Jean's as well. There's some really crazy stuff that happens here. Yeah, I, I really like all the Mr. Fantastic stuff in this. Like when when uh, when he's getting stretched all over the place trying to dodge all of Cyclops' eye lasers and uh, when he turns into when he turns into the ball, but then it's like, Beast is like, a ball? Are you kidding me? I'm an acrobat. What are you, stupid? 
and then like you know ties them all up with a with his with his springy body. I don't know. This this whole sequence is really great. I really like the one where Beast leaps through him and he like turns into like this weird square body kind of thing. <laughs> it's it's really great. It's really really great. And uh, why is the thing spanking Jean Grey a problem, everyone? <laughs> why why is it a problem? It <laughs> you said spanking. Now there's a famous there's a famous episode of I Love Lucy that ends with Ricky spanking Lucy for misbehaving. She's across his knee and he's just spanking her on the bottom and saying, "You need to behave, wife." Uh, there's something culturally acceptable about adult men spanking girls against their consent in the '60s, but it's not really culturally acceptable then or now. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Older times, people had some interesting ideas about things, I guess. That <laughs> when, <is> well. <laughs> when, he, when he threatens to spank her, it's one problem. But when he actually grabs her belt and yeah. puts her over his knee, oh my God. I was really caught off guard by that. I was like, oh my God, he's really going to do it. What, am I, what, what are they having me read here? <laughs> Uh, also, Angel's signature move back one is just to grab girls from behind. He would just—he always did that to Gene. He just grabs them and throws them in the air, which is also not okay. Consent is important, friends. Yep. <laughs> He's like, these jerks think they can just grab my wings. I'm going to grab their lady. Let's see how this goes. See how you like it. I'm going to teach everybody a valuable lesson. Oofta. Yeah. I also, I, I also <laughs> feel like Sue is kind of downplayed, but I know with it being what it was then. Um, she often was downplayed, even though she could do more that you see later on in the issue. Yes, yeah, Sue uh, Sue is very, very mistreated the first couple of years of the Fantastic Four, but she's the most powerful member of the team we get and, later. And she does have a very important uh, role to play at the end of the issue, so let us, let us not forget. But first, there's one more major problematic scene to come. <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> which we will talk about. Uh, any other comments on this spy sequence before we continue on page eleven? I really love Bobby and the thing. Like when he ices up his head, it's a giant snowball basically. And you see his grumpy face through it. He's got this frown that you can see through the snow, and then he puts basically ice cubes on his feet. So you've got the thing with a big snowman head and these ice cube feet kind of sliding all over the place. I think that was handled really well. And then you see him sliding on his butt across the floor. I think they played them together really well. I don't so, know. You kind of see different dynamics in this than you do in the X-Men with Bobby. I don't know. Like yeah. the thing, because he's such a big tough guy, seems to be played more for like comedic effect. Sure. You know, they can do stuff to him that they can't do with other characters over in the X-Men. Like there's just more almost lightheartedness in this than there is in the X-Men issues we've read. Yeah. Yeah. Am I the only person who was a little confused by page six at the bottom where Cyclops goes good. His answer is just what the thinker predicted. Oh, yeah, but then yeah, later, yeah. I saw he doesn't well. seem to know what the thinker was doing. I was I just going to comment on that. Type of yeah. So the premise, there's no here, prize for this. the premise here is the, the, the thinker is influencing the puppet master to control professor X through radioactive clay. And professor X is now influencing the minds of the X-Men in order to fight the fantastic four. Okay, so there's already a lot of complications. So somewhere, some way, Puppet Master like projected the identity of the mad thinker into Professor X's brain, who then put it into Cyclops's because 
Cyclops is li literally thinking, oh, now's the moment to attack. This is what the thinker wanted. Yeah. Uh, but then later he doesn't know that the thinker's involved at all. <laughs> right. But Professor X can like wipe their memories. I well, don't know. You know what? Exactly. Exactly. He just doesn't remember. <laughs> then Professor X, I look, I don't want to leave him remembering that this was what happened to him. This is very, this is very upsetting for anybody to have the mad <laughs> thinker telling you what to do. But yes, this is clearly an example of Stan and Jack making a small mistake or, you know, Stan specifically <laughs> in this case. Uh, I think this fight seems really fun, if I'm honest. Uh, spanking aside, it's it's, uh, it's it's kind of a blast. Uh, so let me take over this next little section for a minute. So uh, the fight continues on page 11. Cyclops blasts the Fantastic Four's, quote, experimental ray machines in an attempt to force a surrender from the Fantastic Four. And the FF agreed to stand down in order to see what the X-Men are after. So Cyclops then frees Thing from his ice blocks with optic blasts and Angel sticks Sue in a locker. Yes, you heard me correctly. Because the Fantastic Four have now surrendered, we need to get them to follow us. So the Invisible Woman must go inside this locker. Don't worry, we've created some air for you to breathe. And then they load the locker into their helicopter and fly away for the uh, the destination that the Mad Thinker has prearranged as the site for their final battle. Uh, there is a problem with Sue being stuck in a locker. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. Not only is it unnecessary, but oofta, it's uncomfortable. Hey, uh, they cut holes in the box. <laughs> <laughs> at least she didn't suffocate. It could be worse. Uh, we also get to see the, uh, the thing called Alicia Honeyface, which was the basis for our question today. What are your pet names? Uh, that made me smile. Uh, because because the X-Men have stuck Alicia Masters up on a ledge to keep her safe, the Fantastic Four realize perhaps they're not so deadly after all, uh, and then they choose to fly after them. So they pursue them. Uh, the thing notes out loud that if Reed and Beast ever got into a conversation, only the man who wrote the dictionary would understand them, which is amazing. Uh, once they arrive at their site, the X-Men let Sue out of her locker, and then the Fantastic Four land, and Xavier again commands the uh, X-Men to fight the Fantastic Four. So basically, we had a really complicated scene change over a couple of pages, uh, just so that the fight could continue on the playing ground that the Mad Thinker wanted. Uh, there's a couple of really nonsensical things that happen in the coming fight. Uh, it's a lot of really fun action. We get to see Cyclops slowing the thing down, but the Mad Thinker has set up a series of booby traps. So the the thing is walking and suddenly falls in an open manhole, which that word manhole is always hilarious. <laughs> he shouts, <laughs> and as he falls, as he falls, he says, "What's going on here? How did an open manhole get down below?" You get to see a trail of W's uh, guiding down. Then the most nonsensical panel in the whole comic book, which is saying something, Mr. Fantastic gets caught up in a, <laughs> in a booby trap that literally is a revolving reel device, like a fishing lure. And it just like spins him around like a spool on a thread so he can't move anywhere. <laughs> it's absolute nonsense. But don't, don't fret, there's more nonsense to come because... Two missiles are shot into the air, which then drop asbestos-covered straitjackets out of them so that they can cover the human torch and the invisible girl in, in asbestos-covered straitjackets so that it will stop them from any further attack. Only then... It's a long game. He wants them to get cancer and die eventually. Yeah. <laughs> exactly as I predicted. The mad thinker wins again. <laughs> exactly as I predicted. He's in it for the long haul. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Uh, then the Mad Thinker and the Puppet Master reveal themselves, which is also a terrible phrase. Uh, out of the ground, <laughs> they slowly pop up and say, ha ha, we were behind it all along. Now that the thing is in a hole, Mr. Fantastic is on a spool and uh, the other two of you are in asbestos lined straitjackets. Uh, let me hear your thoughts on these pages. <laughs> the, the things in the thinker's hole, right? Yes, he's in his. Oh, yeah, I'm a little slow on this plot. I just needed to catch up there. Okay, just need to make that sure that the thing was in the hole. Yeah, he's okay. in, the thing is in the manhole down below. Below. I will say that is a nice touch with the little W's traveling. I really like that. I was like, this is super. What fun lettering. <laughs> The uh, reed being wrapped up reminded me of those hoses, like real things you see on the side of old people's houses that reel up the hoses. Yeah, I had the same yeah. thought. Mr. Fantastic might be my star player this issue. What he does with his powers and the way they treat them is really fun. He's a bouncy ball. He's all over the place. But when he gets ro- like rolled up on this spool, I laughed out loud. Yeah, I love I love that he makes like a big arm lasso that he's trying to grab the angel with. It's just it's just great. It's very like plastic man. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you guys think about uh, Sue being stuck in the locker? The Sue locker. <laughs> yeah. But how does that... I she, mean, she could turn invisible in there and they wouldn't know it. So, you know, that's a good thing they put her in a locker. The X-Men could have kidnapped Alicia, but they didn't. They chose Sue because I guess it would lead to a fight later on. That's what I'm guessing. Well, Sue um, can protect herself. Yeah. Because it looks like they were leading them to the fight that'll get them trapped by the thinker and puppet master. Um, One thing that does stand out to me in the fight too, is we finally get a human torch versus Iceman fight. Cause like, you know, they made reference to their team up a while back. So I was hoping to see them clash. So seeing that it's like, okay, cool. And another thing that's, that I know is referenced like later on is um, Sue storm trapping Jean Grey in an invisible bubble and her telekinesis not working rather her powers um i know that's something that's referenced later on like in the 80s 20 years after this so the fact that you know there's another panel showing that gene's powers don't work against sue pretty impressive that's that's impressive abilities much like like the the sequence where where cyclops is blasting the thing and the thing just keeps walking forward like you can't stop him just unbelievable as a matter of fact, that's what Cyclops says. The strength is unbelievable. Can't believe it. You can't stop him until you open the manhole. <laughs> uh, also, much like spanking, asbestos does not hold up well in the 2010s. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I was sitting next to my wife on the couch and I said, I, I started laughing and I was like, I was like, the, 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 his plan is just cancer. He's going to give him mesothelioma <laughs> with these, with these, <laughs> these blankets. It's unbelievable. But not only is it asbestos lined straitjackets, they had to be fired out of missiles and dropped out of the sky. In order it's like to a t shirt cannon. It's a complex. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's so great. I love it so much. What fun. Uh, <laughs> Okay, uh, Bob, will you take over on page 16 for us? Uh, tell us what happens next. So at this point, the Mad Thinker and Puppet Master are revealed, along with the awesome android. Uh, and now it's like, hey, we won. We used his bait. And then, uh, so w- this is where it's all revealed, right? Like the Puppet Master's like, hey, guess what, Ding Dongs? I've been controlling Professor X with this really cool puppet I made. And uh, I'm going to continue to do it. So he uses the puppet to further command the the uh, the X-Men, and he's going to make them all unconscious. 
So like they must obey. And there's this really great panel of, uh, of professor Xavier using his mind powers to make all of the X-Men just like pass out. But there's one small problem because when you're using this much telekinetic energy, if they're uh, to, to, to control so many people, well, guess what? If there's one guy who's got a real smart brain, you're not going to be able to control him. And guess who that is? The beast. So the beast breaks free of the telekinetic control and leaps at the puppet master, knocking the uh, feet first, just sticks his feet right in his face and then knocks the little puppet free. Whoops, I hit my microphone there. And then smashes it. (laughs) At this point, all the Fantastic Four who have been stuck inside of all of these different traps break free. So like the thing punches his way out of the manhole and then he untangles uh, 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 read from from his uh, from his tangly hose roller thing. I don't know what you call it. Bob, before you continue, I have a special request. On yes. on page seventeen, can you just read in your best character voice uh, what the puppet master's reaction to the Xavier puppet being destroyed is? <laughs> this is this was one of my favorite lines in the whole book. <laughs> no, don't. Don't destroy it. It was my greatest handiwork. Don't let me be defeated again. I can't bear it. No. Yay. (laughs) It's so great. (laughs) Okay, now you may continue. All right, great. So now at this point, they're like, all right, we got to tear all of the asbestos off of uh, these poor guys who are now covered in uh, cancer fibers. So they do that. Thank goodness. But now at this point, everybody's in big trouble because this android is huge, huge, and he's ready to consume human flesh. So now it is an amazing fight with with all of the X-Men and the Fantastic Four fighting the awesome android. And it is awesome. We got Iceman freezing up his uh, hands. We got Angel flying around him, I guess. (laughs) Punching his head. (laughs) Yeah, punching his head. Uh, and Beast is jumping at him, and then the Mad Thinker has a gun, and he's just shooting at the Beast. Uh, and then, and then poor Jean is just stuck in his hand. She's the Fey Ray to the Awesome Androids, King Kong. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, they 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 keep doing uh, all this all this. Oh, wait, who now? Who gets stuck? Oh yeah, that's right. So the, I, boy, I I ought to get a medal for Chump of the Year. I warn Iceman, but the Android attacks me and covers me in a casing of ice. As the poor Iceman tries to tries to stop this android and accidentally gets uh, gets old Johnny Storm stuck in the ice, so um, so now now everybody's getting into this big old fight and Jean's like now is my time to shine so she's like gonna use her tele- telekinesis to topple him over but he's he's too heavy she can't do it <laughs> and then uh, Cyclops come over comes over to help but then Sue unbelievably using her incredible powers manages to create a shield around the android so he can't do anything but he's too strong for that too so he breaks out and then ben Grimm is going to fight him but here's your big problem this android this android can absorb your powers and use them against you so he immediately becomes a giant rock android it just starts punching the crap out of the thing but meanwhile we're, we're like i think we're all worried right like how are the fantastic four and the x-men going to get out of this this android's unstoppable he can use their own powers against them but this is terrible but there's one thing we didn't count on, friends. Professor Xavier. He's finally released from the puppet master's evil grasp and decides to use his brain powers. And he immediately shoots the mind waves out over to the awesome android who's just about to smash the thing and topples him over. And my iPad crapped out and the issue's not loading anymore. But Oh, no, you're good. I can help from oh, here. Are we, 
we got to keep in mind, Professor X isn't even on site, man. He's doing all this from far away. Yeah, he's telecommuting into work. This guy, what a yeah. what a what a forward thinking dude. Okay, now now we're back. So he knocks over he knocks over the awesome android, and uh, the uh, so Beast chases the mad thinker and the puppet master down into their evil laboratory. And he's like bouncing around the walls trying to catch him, but they managed to uh, close the doors behind them and, and escape in a cool red jet. Uh, that is, uh, that is once again, not loading for me, but I do remember the panel where the jet flies away. Um, and then I'm, I'm assuming the episode ends with everybody likes each other. Um, yeah. They, they <laughs> go back, they take their helicopter home. Everybody's kind of at peace a little bit. The mad thinker and the puppet master get away. The awesome Android has been contained. Uh, and, and we have a final panel of the FF looking into the moon. And uh, Sue says, I wonder if we'll ever meet the X-Men again. And, and uh, Johnny says, one thing's certain, you sure couldn't miss them in a crowd. <laughs> and the thing says they weren't too bad for amateurs, except for the beast. He's too ugly. And then we, <laughs> and then we finish the uh, the issue. Now, the awesome android is not well known by a lot of modern readers, but he's a great blocky old Kirby character. It looks like he's made out of clay. He's got a big square head. And basically, if you touch him, he'll get your powers. That's kind yeah. of the, the premise. Uh, I love him. <laughs> he's, he's great. One of my favorite Marvel villains of all time. I was really excited about this because when I I, I had a I had a small fill in uh, on Fantastic Four a while back, and one of the things that was actually in the script was like draw a bunch of like sort of Kirby esque monsters uh, that the thing runs into in like this sort of underworld area. Um, and I remember seeing like the awesome android in the middle of that, and I was like, dude, this guy is great. He's all he's all mushy made out of clay, absorbing everybody's powers. Just awesome. Awesome Android. Android. That's right his name. Andy! Uh, uh, Justin and Mike, some of your thoughts on this final uh, battle sequence. I really love that panel of you must obey, you must obey, and just the close-ups of Professor X in general. Um, those are yes. just really well-positioned. Yeah, that, that sequence where like he's coming out of it, and, like he's holding his head, but then he looks up and then all of a sudden there's that one panel where just his head sort of canted angle with the rays coming out of it. Awesome. Yes, that was really well done. Yeah, I love that one. That guy's got resting bitch face, man. Eyebrows. He's like full uh, Joan, uh, Joan Crawford and Mommy Dearest like all the time. The Puppet Master is creepy AF, though. Like, the scene where he's holding Professor X's puppet, and he's got the weird... It's the eyelashes. The eyelashes look a little creepy to me. He's, he's got, got those eyelashes. Big, he's got those big, swoopy eyebrows, yeah, too. Yeah, just the eyelashes. Also, it was his finest work. He knew what kind of suit Professor X was wearing. Yeah, somehow. Down <laughs> he to, got yeah. the outfit right. <laughs> <laughs> When when his puppet's being destroyed, he just wants to be screaming like, no, I masturbated so hard for this. <laughs> Please don't destroy it. Oh, it's so it's so perfect. The whole thing. Also, it, it should be mentioned that uh, how the thing gets out of the manhole. He has to punch his way out. He has to fist his way out of the manhole. The thing. Lord. Has to fist his way out. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. You you have to you have to admire the fact that it all ends with the awesome android fight. The, uh, the awesome android turns into ice and then into Rocky form. Uh, I think he's so fucking cool. I said Reed had my star player uh, prize this issue, but no, it's uh, it's it's the awesome android. Andy, Andy wins the whole. Andy thing. wins. Andy always yeah. wins by default. I think. <laughs> uh, In fact. Oh, sorry. Oh, please, Justin, go ahead. 
the fact that he took out the human torch with ice when you know human torch you think being made of fire could melt him when he's in the ice form that says a lot about and the awesome android he's he's great man he's so cool uh now bob had you read this issue before i had never read this issue before no what were your overall impressions just as we uh as we <laughs> close it up hey i i like I really like anything where I can hear that old transatlantic accent um, narrating at me, right? Like wh- when when you open up the the thing and you know you're you're getting the here I'm going back to the to the first right here, but it's like it's a typical afternoon in the skyscraper headquarters of America's greatest fighting team, right? Like when it that kind of I I I can't get enough of that stuff. Like it, it's so much fun, and then like all the all the bad guy dialogue is so like overly arch and dramatic like it, it's like i i really really loved like every second of this and then the fight scenes are great and they're like really creative and i don't know it's um it's it's i'm not uh, i'm being super honest with you like i don't i haven't read a ton of uh like older older comics from like you know you know golden age and silver age and all that stuff but like this really makes me want to go back and just like tear through all this stuff. Like I got this, this Marvel unlimited uh, subscription for this show. And I was like, all right, well, I know what I'm doing with my free time now. Like these, these things are just, they're, they're just so much fun. Well, we, uh, I mean, part of the reason we created this podcast in the first place is most people associate the X-Men with Claremont forward. Right. But mm-hmm. they have these, they have these mythos in the early Marvel days. Uh, so, I mean, start with X-Men number one and then give each episode a listen along the way. That's the, that's kind of the idea. It's a lot of fun to go through it and take it slow. I'm telling you, so like a little, little bit of behind the scenes for the listeners. I accidentally read the wrong thing for this episode earlier. And that that issue was great, too. Like, it, yes. they're, they're so goofy. Like, they're <laughs> completely goofy, but they're really, really fun. I don't know. There, there's There's nothing not to like here. There's a, there's a lot of delicious content in the 60s. Uh, and Stan and Jack uh, on the Fantastic Four is one of the most iconic things ever. They, I mean, they had that, what, 112-issue run. Uh, it changes forms over the years, but it's so good. This early campy crazy, the, the FF villains in the beginning are so great. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah. It didn't take itself too seriously. Except for the puppet master and the mad thinker and the <laughs> masturbation sequence. That was the yeah. only very serious thing. <laughs> Keep sculpting. Sculpt harder. <laughs> Focus. Focus. More lube. <laughs> it is done. Now concentrate as you've never concentrated before. Lord, I, uh, that has to be what the mad thinker's voice sounds like. Whereas, <laughs> whereas the puppet master sounds like a, a high pitched kind of villainy, you know, like a guy that would have puppets. Like that's what he sounds like to me. One of those classic puppet guys. <laughs> uh, did any of you have just a single favorite moment? If you picked one panel that typifies the whole experience for you today. Oh, well, for me, it's a, it's a hundred percent. The, uh, the, the one where, um, professor xavier shoots out his telekinetic rays at the end i like that just that 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 from here up ed like it, it, i i loved it like as soon as i saw it, i was like yes that's what i'm here for i'm here for telekinetic rays being shot out of professor x's head just great it's so good how about you justin outside of the professor x one because that would have been my pick too <laughs> <laughs> good choice um, I really liked the fight on top of the plateau, like kind of seeing everybody do their thing. Like you see Sue actually using her powers. 
Um, it's very well spread out. And then seeing everybody kind of fall for the traps too. Um, I thought it was a neat visual with Reed getting trapped in the hose reel type thing. And I really loved it. I really loved the panel where um, Cyclops is shooting his optic blasts at him in the lab and he was kind of dodging all them. I thought yeah, that yeah. was a neat visual too. Uh, how about you, Duvin? Yeah, the the reed stretching around Cyclops' blast is one of my favorite. And then the image of like the thing grappling the Andy when he's still kind of rocked up a little bit. Like he's getting up under there. You just, you know, can, good job, Jack. You you done you done good. You do some good art, I guess. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of nonsense in this issue, but I think I, if I'm honest, the most nonsense is just ridiculous because the Mad Thinker took so much time to plan this, but he shoots missiles, drops the purple, like they explode and it drops the asbestos jackets onto the torch and suit. Like that, that's probably, uh, I mean, the thing spanking Jean Grey is something else. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that is a thing that happened. Context. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God! What an absolute joy to review this issue with the three of you today, and Bob to get to know you better and to hear your thoughts and like just the the man behind the master artwork. Like I'm so excited to get to know you. Thank you for being <laughs> here with us today. As as we are wrapping up, let's go in the order of Justin Duvin and then Bob. Uh, where can people find each of you online? And what do we have to look forward to coming out uh, or or based on your own uh, content or social media? So I can be found at J underscore Cosmic, spelled K-O-S-M-I-C. I'm mostly on Instagram. Um, I'm an amateur or I guess part-time cosplayer and full-time toy collector. Um, <laughs> occasional thirst trap too, but don't mind that. <laughs> um, oh, oh, I mind it very much. <laughs> <laughs> that's my main social. Um, get used to it. So again, that's, thank you. That's what the puppet master says too. <laughs> <laughs> the first time is always the hardest. <laughs> uh, Mr. Dubin, how about you? Um, you can find me. I've got two different Instagrams right now. Um, First one is at Wham Barber, W-H-A-M-B-A-R-B-E-R. Second one, uh, just open. Uh, you went quiet again. Oh, Mr. No. Duvin just opened his very own barber shop in town here in Salt Lake City. What's it called? Sorry. Sorry about been fighting with these AirPods all day. Um, so yeah, my first Instagram, Wham Barber. Second one, I just opened up a uh, barber studio here in Salt Lake uh, at God Shave the Queen Barber. Uh, or godshavethequeen.co. So if you're in town, want a haircut, look me up. And you heard correctly, God Shave the Queen. I will be going there on Sunday for my haircut, and I will post an image. <laughs> I'm broadcasting live from there right now. Woohoo! Tremendous. And, and uh, Bob, how about you? Uh, I have a bunch of different social media websites, none of which are consistent in naming, and none of them make any sense. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at RobotJQ. I'm at Instagram at King of Smaster. I'm on Tumblr, if anybody still uses that, at A1 Courier. I've got a Facebook page, uh, Bob Q Draws, maybe, something like that. Uh, and Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm reachable on any and all platforms. Feel free to drop by. Say hi. Uh, be nice. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Knights of X coming out. Anything else we should oh, be looking yeah. for that, uh, uh, that has been announced, I suppose? Knights of X is coming out when? I have no idea. Uh, I have another thing I'm working on with Marvel that I can't talk about yet. It has not been announced, but it should be pretty fun. 
And that's, that's, I've got a third thing that also hasn't been announced yet, but you'll see panels of it every now and then on my social media. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm very busy, busy boy. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep our eyes open. I, I, again, Bob, I just think you're an incredible artist and getting to know you, you're so much fucking fun, man. This was a great oh. time today. Thank <laughs> oh, you. Thank you. I really enjoyed being here. Thank you so much <clears> for having me. And then uh, lastly, my name is Chad. You can find Gray Malkin Lane on both Twitter and Instagram just under that name. Uh, I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos. We've got some really, really great stuff. I think I've shared with you guys, uh, we, we've got stuff booked all the way till the end of May at this point, which is amazing. Uh, some incredible stuff. We've recently had Roy Thomas and Steve Englehart on, which is just stunning. Uh, our next episode is going to review X-Men number 36, which is the one that Bob accidentally read because I told him to. <laughs> My apologies. It's really, look, I have no regrets. That's a great issue. Yeah, we're going to review. The end of it is so funny. It's so great. Uh, we're going to review X-Men number 36 with the writer Zach Gorman, who uh, many Marvel people may know as the writer of the Great Lakes Avengers series from a couple years back, which is so great. Uh, so we're super excited to have Zach on. Um, so we'll uh, we'll keep you posted with everything we have coming forward. I have an episode coming up in the middle of March around uh, Magneto that is maybe the most excited uh, I've been about the podcast so far. Like we've got some really incredible stuff coming up. Uh, so thank you, everybody. We will see you back here uh, next time on Gray Malkin Lane. 